Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer. Welcome back, folks, for our second episode of the week, the trade deadline bonus episode. Jake, I'm excited to talk trades and uh, specifically talk our trade deadline. So uh, we could jump right into it because I don't actually know how long this one might be. So let's talk about some strategy and takeaways around the league. Uh, as I mentioned multiple times in our league group chat, I sent out a list of questions, three of them in particular, to kind of include the league in on this episode. Um, an idea that actually Jerwin gave to us where we would ask people to record you know, what their strategy was going into the deadline, how they feel like they did. And I actually added in my own question of you know, who's whose uh, deadline day did you, I guess, admire the most, for lack of a better way to put it. And so, Jake, you and I are going to share what our answers are to questions number one and two, which were what you know, what was your strategy, what did you have any goals heading into deadline day, and how you felt about your ability to execute relative to your expectations. But we're actually going to save our answer to number three for later in the episode. So you and I will lead off... And then we're actually going to hear from the people in our league. So, Jake, I will ask you first, what was your strategy um, and did you have any goals heading into deadline day? If you want to answer both, feel free. If you only want to answer one because you feel like there's a lot of overlap, feel free as well. Uh, so uh, it's kind of boring. I was going to try to move one of Seeger or Correa, but if I wasn't going to get back what I wanted, I was completely fine with just holding both. Uh I knew the only thing I knew that I wanted to do was move Bruhan and Rogers, and I wanted to just get back depth pitching. I mean, I, I I know that for me, a lot of my if I chose to move Correa or Seager, I would expect to get back more impact players. But overall, I knew that really my biggest additions for my team are going to come off the injured list because I I'm not going to acquire anybody to the low to their level, and I. I know some. I know one. At least one player was moved that is at their level, but I did not expect any. I did not expect that to happen. So really, I was trying to just acquire depth to kind of fill some holes in my lineup. I decided to move Seager. I would. I tried to move Correa first because Seager's a. I think Seager's a better player, and I think Seager. I mean, I know that he has a better keeper value too, but I uh, settled on moving Seager. I was okay with it, and then. You know, the that happened before Craig Kimbrell got moved. So that one wasn't that didn't really make me very happy. But I, I was okay with how how it went. I think that I I mean I accomplished what I set out to accomplish, but the results afterwards didn't look that great. Yeah, two things. One, you sound a little bit like the New York Mets. I feel like they always say uh, or maybe, I don't want to say, I guess, the Mets in particular, but I feel like you always hear in team that's like our trade deadline acquisitions are going to be the guys that we have coming off the injured list. Like I think the Mets said that with Noah Syndergaard. He's supposed to come back at the end of the year. The Yankees said that with Luis Severino. Maybe it's just the New York teams. But I did want to ask you, Jake, um, in hindsight, had you known that Craig Kimbrell would be traded to the White Sox, and I guess this is going to sound like a backwards question, but it, it did seem to affect the way that you b viewed your bullpen, obviously. Do you think that you still make the same deal 
that Liam Hendricks was involved in where you brought him over to your team? Uh, I don't think so. Cause I was, I was buying Hendricks and Kimbrell. Uh, I, if I bought Hendricks, I was kind of thinking, okay, now I have two relievers that are putting up like SP three numbers, mm-hmm. which that's what they are. They're around starting pitcher 30, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess is a little better than that. I don't know. Um, that's not going to be the case now. I mean, they can still be very good. We've seen Hader and Corey Knable a couple of years ago. I think they both put up pretty good numbers, but it's not to the level of uh, like SP2, SP3 numbers. Sure. It's not, they're not each going to be dominant closers. Um, and yeah. I expect both to still be very good and very useful for your team. But, you know, if Kimbrell is great, it, you know, there's no other way to say it besides, like for fantasy in, in particular, there's no other way to look at it other than like thinking he might be eating into Liam Hendricks' production and vice versa, right? Like, I don't think that either of them can reach their ceilings in a vacuum, pitching right up against one another in back to back innings. So that's, yeah, that was just a very tough luck, real life trade landing spot for Craig Kimbrell. Um, for my team, I had three goals, which were one, I wanted to move Nelson Cruz so that I could play the hot hand at utility. I have shared a couple times that my strategy for setting my offensive lineup lately, uh, and I say lately, I mean like the past month or two has just been to get guys that have been hot lately into my starting lineup. So I wanted to move a guy that was UT only to be able to do that even a little bit more. My second goal was to move John Means to get a major piece that can help me every week. Not because I don't think that John Means is a very good player. Uh, Obviously, his numbers on the season as a whole speak for themselves. But because with my pitching staff in particular, John Means was going to be a guy that only got into the lineup maybe once every three weeks. And I wanted to get a guy um, that could get into my lineup every week. And I I felt like John Means was valuable enough to get a piece like that. So that was my second goal. And my third goal was similar to your second goal. You wanted to move Brendan Rodgers and Videl Brujan for basically something of value to your team. I wanted to do the same with Luke Voigt. Um, I wasn't crazy about having him on my roster, but I absolutely felt like somebody in our league should hold him on their roster just to see what uh, comes out of his playing situation for the rest of the season. He is a very steep discount next year. And I know I said on last week's episode that I didn't think that he was a keeper or that he might be a fringe keeper at best, but I still felt like somebody should have rostered him in the case that he does prove to be an asset because he still is at a steep discount. So I felt like, you know, I wasn't shooting for the moon and stars with Luke Voigt, but I was just trying to go into the deadline and move him for something that I could use. Right. And then a fourth goal actually emerged for me in the very late hours of deadline day. And when I say late hours, I'm talking about like the last hour, which was to make a two for one trade so that I could clear a roster spot to activate Mookie Betts from the injured reserve. I really liked what I had in that last hour, but then I thought, well, shoot, I don't really want to cut anybody at this point. So I was trying to look for like a last minute trade. You know, I think I posted on my trade deadline, like I wanted to make a move for a marginal upgrade somewhere so that I could clear a spot for Mookie Betts to come back. Um, And then as far as strategy, getting into the other half of the question, what was the strategy? I didn't really have one besides to make my team better, which 
Um, I know that's very broad, but I felt in particular the two easiest ways for me to do that with my roster would be to improve my relief pitching and or add a big bat to my lineup. So those were my goals and strategy, if you will. I will lead us off with the second question. How did you feel about your ability to execute on deadline day relative to your expectations? Uh, it sounds like I wrote my goals in hindsight, but in all transparency, those were the things that I was trying to accomplish. And I, I can't even really take all the credit. The results blew me away because I was totally not expecting to one, accomplish everything that I set out to do. But two, this was the the most surprising part to me was I was n totally not expecting to land a superstar bat like Freddie Freeman. And as a matter of fact, it was so unexpected that I, like previously throughout the season, I had maybe texted JC once or twice about Freddie Freeman. But on deadline day itself, I had not even asked JC about Freddie Freeman. He actually approached me to start the negotiation. So I think uh, because of that trade in particular, that my deadline day exceeded my own expectations through a little bit of luck and opportunity. Jake, I'll ask you, how did you feel about your ability to execute relative to your expectations? I mean, I executed what I set out to do. It's just it didn't work out like less than an hour later for every, almost everything. <laughs> yeah, we did. We, we've already touched that you got unlucky. So I think, again, I, I think it's this is a matter of process over results right like you and i probably had a, a similar process where we had and most people probably had the same right where they had a you know a goal in mind or a general strategy that they wanted to go into x uh, deadline day and execute on right but sometimes the results don't reflect a good process the same way for one person or one team or one organization the same way that they reflect that process for another team right so I think that this is a case for you and I in particular, since it's you and I having the conversation now of we both had goals, we both executed on those goals, and through, I guess, opportunities that we didn't expect, or in your case, a trade that you didn't expect, the results just look a little bit different at the end. So, but with that being said, let's actually hear what everyone around the league had to say about those two questions and the third question, which was excluding your own team, who do you believe was the biggest deadline day winner and why? So let's take a brief pause here and uh, listen to what everyone else had to say or everyone that submitted an audio clip had to say. What's up, guys? It's JC. So my strategy going into deadline, um, I didn't really have one for the first time, um, mostly because I got pretty busy and I kind of forgot about it. Um, I think I texted a few guys like what time it even was on the weekend, but luckily I was able to get some deals in place. Obviously before deadline, I knew I needed pitching. I had a lot of hitting. So um, I knew I was able to give up some big pieces in exchange for good pitching. So I didn't really have a whole strategy. I just knew the holes that I need to fill and places that I can downgrade in to get there. Uh, how do you feel about your ability to execute on deadline relative to your expectations? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I feel like it was pretty good. Um, like I said, I didn't really know 
what was going to happen before or after I feel like deadline day is like Christmas morning and you just don't know the presents that you're going to get. Um, you know, you might get coal or you might open up something very nifty, <laughs> but I, I would say that I executed very well. I think I had to do some of the, probably one of the hardest trades I've had to do in a while. Um, I had to give up my boy Freeman. I mean, he's been on my team now for such a long time. Uh, but I knew what I had to do to get some pitching. And I think a big goal of mine that I wanted to execute was that, um, so I remember me and Nate were even talking <clears throat> weeks ago and just like how important it is to um, set yourself up for playoffs and making that run, but to also not completely screw yourself out of next year. And when you're on a borderline like me, I knew I, you know, I was 100% going for it, but I also knew that I wanted to keep some in the tank for next year. So knowing that, you know, I have three good eligible pitchers to keep, Bichette, um, I knew that, you know, I was going to be able to execute that now. Um, excluding my team, who do you believe was the biggest deadline day winner and why? This was the really only thing. I prepped and I have to go with big money Mike. And for this reason is because not only did he make some moves, he made good moves. I'd have to say he got Rizzo Garcia, like some big ass names even got him and me even did uh, Blake Snell and Tukey, which was a raindrop compared to the other trades he made. I mean, he got Hanniger. Musgrove he gave up Bellinger obviously and Granke but um, I feel like it a lot of things went more for his side on most of his trades maybe more his side's not really a good use of words but that he was able to fill the holes that he really needed and he got a lot of big upgrades um, sure it's not a hundred percent but I think um, in development wise he got some of the best going for him and that's all I have. Thanks, guys, and good luck. Hey, everyone. This is Nick, leader of the Pine Run Market. Hope you all uh, enjoyed trade deadline day as much as I did and have been enjoying the season as much as I have. I just want to extend real quick just a thanks for, uh, to everybody for welcoming uh, not just myself but Eddie into the league so well this year. It's been fun, and uh, it was something I was fighting Nate on uh, he was asking me a year or two ago, I think, about uh, asking my interest in joining, Joining, I think it was this league in particular, and doing fantasy baseball, and I've just been pushing it off. But this has been a lot of fun for myself, a lot of learning, and uh, it's been a good time. But, hey, I'll get to the questions. I'll be short and brief. The first question, what was your strategy, and did you have any goals heading into the deadline day? Uh, the main goal I had, uh, priority one of what I wanted to accomplish, was improving relief pitching, just getting some players that I can plug and play without thinking about it week to week. And I did that in deals and acquiring Matt Barnes and Mark Melanson, you know, getting a Matt Barnes and a deal that was agreed upon prior to trade deadline was a little bit risky as there was rumors of Craig Kimball, Kimbrell possibly going there, but that just was a risk I was willing to take. And uh, luckily it paid off. <laughs> Who would have guessed he was going just across town to the White Sox. Uh, but that was really the big goal. And the, uh, if there were other deals opening up along the way, maybe just looking into acquiring one more big name, big bat, 
Um, that was basically my line of thinking entering uh, into all the trade negotiations. Second question, how you feel about how I executed, you know, relative to my expectations. I'm very happy with the deals that took place, at least as far as how my team's looking. I was able to for sure improve my relief pitching, kind of made a just a side, uh, a side move with uh, second base, giving up Adam Frazier in a deal, though I got Brandon Lowe back and I see those two players very similar. And um, if I have to use Brandon Lowe long-term at second base, I don't feel too bad about that. And uh, I ensured my depth at center field. That was another big move I made in acquiring Cedric uh, Mullins. That definitely is helpful um, since Trent Grisham for my team has been struggling. I guess one thing I haven't mentioned is another goal for sure I had that day was, or leading to trade deadline day, was getting more healthy starting pitching since I have Bieber and I have Pablo Lopez, two of my uh, big pitchers. That there's really uncertainty around them on their health and when they'll be back. So I was able to uh, flip Pablo and to get Herman Marquez and Max Fried, though I ended up trading Herman in a deal to then get Cedric Mullins. I was still able to get one more uh, pretty quality starting pitcher, Max Fried, Fried, however you say his name. And so I felt good about that too. Excluding my own team, who do you believe was the biggest deadline day winner and why? Um, the two that stuck out to me were Mike and honestly, it was pretty hard for me to really analyze where his team was to where it's at now with all the deals. Of course, he made so many deals as, you know, we all expected, um, and pre it seemed almost his entire roster, um, boot got booted out and a whole new roster came in. So it was pretty hard for me to really analyze whether his team improved a whole lot, but I think overall looking at some of the deals he did, I, I like what he got in return from, for players he sent out. And then my brother, Nate. Um, he had, I believe, I can't recall the deals he did do. I think he did one smaller one and one bigger one. And maybe, oh, he did the triple, uh, the three owner deal as well. Um, I think overall what Nate got in return, getting a big name in Freddie Freeman is always going to be a win. I know he depleted his starting pitching depth as far as having some, you know, some of the best starting pitching, maybe he still does. I haven't really compared his starting pitching to the rest of the league. But he still has one of the best starting pitching crews, uh, despite depleting it a bit. Um, but he got a big bat in Freddie Freeman. So I would have to give props uh, to Nate. I know he'll really like that as he takes a lot of pride in um, how he constructs his roster. And he'll not be bashful telling everybody about it. But I will still say he did a good job with that. And I believe that is third and last question. So, hey, good luck to everybody still competing for a playoff spot and beyond, trying to win it all. Win it all. Um, I hope my team does well, but we'll see. Talk to you all later. Okay, this is Sam. Uh, my kids are asleep, so if it sounds like I'm doing ASMR, that's why. Uh, Nate basically begged me to do a little clip for him, so I got to pull up these prompts that he sent. Uh, what does he want? What was your strategy, and do you have any goals heading into deadline day? Uh... I mostly just wanted to make one big trade and be done with it. I was going for Bieber. Uh, we had a deal kind of set up and agreed on, but that kind of got mixed. So then after that, I was looking for other guys on my list, and high on that list was Seeger. Um, that was pretty much it. Uh, how do you feel about your ability to execute? Uh, I think it was all right. I don't know. I got, I got Seeger. Um, yeah, I, 
feel bad about Beaver, but I mean, one year in the fourth round, not too broken up about it. Uh, excluding your team, who did you believe was the biggest deadline day winner and why? Um, I don't really know any of the other deals. Uh, I'll say Jake, because he got uh, Hendricks and Springer from me. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's all I got for these questions. All right, so my whole strategy with this deadline was as if my offense wasn't already, I guess what you want to call a strong suit of my team, I wanted to make it a juggernaut. And I knew that I had a few keepers, not a lot to move. Um, Alex Verdugo was clearly one of the big pieces, Yuli Gurriel. Um, and in return, you know, getting Anthony Rizzo, getting on a new team with the Yankees, um, they'll probably get the similar production, but I think we might see a little bit more out of Rizzo down the stretch, Aaron Judge and I didn't even know that he was going to be a center fielder, so that's really nice. Um, Nelson Cruz wasn't really on my radar, but, you know, you can't complain. He's one of the best DHs in baseball. So definitely completed my offense a lot. And also the addition of Adam Frazier. Um, unfortunately, you know, Fernando Tatis on a few days later got hurt which that did help me out getting um, Adames, so that was nice. I also didn't want to move a ton of my core pitchers, as in, you know, Brandon Woodruff, Julio Urias. I wanted to keep that core because they've been pretty steady, solid for me all season, so that was nice not having to move them. I do know that to get some of the pieces that I wanted, I had to move a little bit of relief pitching which that was a strong suit of mine. And it took a little bit of a hole, but, you know, getting Brad Hand and Richard Rodriguez didn't make it a drastic hole. So that was nice. Um, in terms of recent success or failures when it came to deadline, I think I did everything that I was set out to do that I wanted to do. I got the players that I wanted with a few decent surprises in Adam Frazier and Nelson Cruz that I wasn't really expecting to get uh, the day heading into dead, uh, deadline. So that was nice. That was cool. Definitely got some bad news with Fernando Tatis, but again, I did get Adames, which, you know, he's no Fernando Tatis, but he's definitely been slugging, you know, ever since going to Milwaukee. Um, in terms of everybody who had a good um, trade deadline, I really liked what Nick and Nate did. Um, Nick really, I think, completed his entire pitching staff, getting Mark Melanson, getting Matt Barnes, both from myself. You know, we were talking for the past week, and I knew that Noah Syndergaard was a keeper that either I wanted or I could move, and I know Nick wanted Matt Barnes or – Mark Melanson out of it, which lo and behold, he got both. So I really liked what he did. Nate getting one of the most steady hitters and Freddie Freeman was really nice. I think it set his offense at number one. And I'll even say that against my own offense. Really liked what he did. Um, I like Brendan's returns that he got with keepers. Yuli Gurriel, Alex Verdugo, they were really nice. Josiah Gray, we'll see what he can do with Washington now. Um, I'm trying to think.
I mean, yeah, I really liked what Nick and Nate did, I think. And I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think the family, uh, us three, really nailed it out of the park. Um, and that's me personally. I think a lot of people will agree. I think us three were definitely the most headline trades ever made, the most trades ever made. And I think all three of us can definitely feel confident going forward. So, yeah, cool deadline. I enjoyed it. And, hey, let the best player win. What's up, everyone? This is Jordan, the owner of uh, the uh, Pretty Petite Princesses, um, giving, my, giving my deadline day rundown here. First question, um, any strategies or goals that I had? I think, um, I think I really expected this to kind of be a low-key deadline for me. I think I already sold and had a bunch of my big keeper pieces. Um, and I wasn't going to ship those guys out who were most of my best players and um, – yeah, I didn't. I didn't really have a lot of high impact guys that I wasn't. I wasn't planning on planning on keeping. So, um, really expected a quiet deadline for the most part. I had a, a quiet deadline with just a couple couple um, lower tier lower tier tier deals to give me a couple um, couple depth keepers in case I have a couple injuries. Um, mainly for guys who were free agents or weren't really drafted at all. Um, so in terms of my ability to execute relative to my expectations. Um, like I said, I had low expectations on moves I'd make. So overall, I'd say I was pretty happy. I got a couple extra moves in there that I wasn't anticipating to make. Um, just something, something quick. Uh, for example, my my uh, deals with Mike, my deals with Nate. Uh, not really planned. Just real quick, uh, quick reach out and got the deals done. Gave them some depth um, for um, for their positions and gave me a couple a couple uh, players who were drafted later. Who I don't know. If I get a couple injuries, I would keep. But um, biggest deadline winner, though, I really like. Uh, in terms of names, I like the names that Nick got relative to his cost. Um, I think that getting uh, Barnes, Melanson, Cedric Mullins, um, I really think that those are going to propel him forward. Like getting Barnes and Melanson, I think having that fortified bullpen, as we saw, um, even in his, ironically in his matchup, in his matchup with Mike, where Mike uh, kind of blew up in the bullpen, I think that. Uh, Nick, as a as a fantasy owner, was aware of that and said, "Okay, I need to um, I need to fortify my bullpen, get some reinforcements, some stable guys in there." Um, because realistically, I mean, the, a bullpen can make or break your season. So I like to see that um, you know Nick obviously already has Rodon there, but getting um, two top top tier um, closers, so they're going to be getting a lot of a lot of opportunities for teams that um, are good. So they're going to be getting a lot of and a lot of um, opportunities and converting on those opportunities. So I really like those two acquisitions. Um, Cedric Mullins, I think, um, obviously he's one of the best center fielders in the uh, in the league so far this year. And I think that that gives Nick a great piece for his offense. Continues to raise his floor. I think that um, Nick's going to continue to get scarier by the uh, by the uh, week. I think his team's really going to mature and going to continue to improve. All right, back to you guys. Thanks everyone for participating. I think it will make, uh, not only make this episode more fun, uh, but I am all about including you guys in our content since you guys are the ones that we make it for. Obviously, you know, nobody else outside of our league listens to this podcast. So 
I'm glad that you guys like it. I'm glad that you guys enjoy participating. It makes it more fun for us. And again, thanks to Jerwin for the idea of uh, including those audio clips. So Jake, we have a lot of trades to go through. I'm excited to start talking about them, but first we actually have to read all of the trades that were made since last episode slash on deadline day. The first one is actually one that was made before deadline day, but after the the last episode that we recorded, it was Courtney giving up Joe Musgrove and Mitch Hanniger. Mike gave up Cody Bellinger and Zach Granke. This is actually the only one that I'm going to ask you for your initial thoughts or reaction to, Jake, because the rest of them are deadline day deals, and we have an analysis segment specifically dedicated to all of those trades. So what was your initial reaction to this trade between Courtney and Mike? Uh, I thought it was pretty even. I understand what Courtney is trying to do, because if you're going to replace, like Mitch Hanniger is not going to replace Acuna, but Cody Bellinger might. I think Grinky and Musgrove is kind of a wash. So I guess this is, I mean, it's a risk because Hanniger was okay, but I, th- I want to say Hanniger was blocked in her lineup anyways, but I'm, I'm not positive about that. But I know that he's only right field eligible, and I feel like she was, or I think somebody was was there who I'm blanking on right now. Nick, Nick Castellanos. Castellanos, he's, he's yeah. currently hurt, but I mean, you expect that he would be back by playoffs if you're Courtney. At least you yeah. hope so uh yeah i i kind of looked at the deal the same way i thought it was mostly a wash i prefer zach cranky to joe musgrove but i know that musgrove has a little bit better keeper eligibility uh maybe it's a hot take maybe you totally agree with me i prefer Actually, hanniger to cody bellinger this year i think i don't know if if the book is closed on cody bellinger i feel like it might be a little harsh to say that but i think at least for 2021 he is a bum I've been on him in every single league that I am in saying that he absolutely stinks this year. I think that he should be benched for either one of Chris Taylor or AJ Pollock, who are both top four on the Dodgers roster in terms of OPS, which is a pretty good measure for overall offensive production. And you're not bumping anyone else from the lineup, right? Like you have Will Smith, your catcher. He has to be in there. Justin Turner, your third baseman, who's maybe been the team MVP this year. You have Seeger and Trey Turner in the middle infield. You're not going to bump either one of them for Cody Bellinger. Max Muncy has actually led the team in OPS this year. And as I already mentioned, Chris Taylor and AJ Pollock have been on fire this year, both top four on the team in OPS. And then you have, um, you know, probably who most consider the best overall player on the team, Mookie Betts in right field. So it's going to be really tough, I feel like, for Cody Bellinger to, to even get playing time. I don't know if that's a hot I... take, Jake. I think it is because at worst I could see it being a platoon because I believe that Pollock does most of his damage against lefties. I mean, it could be. I don't. I'm not even like a. I, he's, I know he's on my team. I'm not really like a Pollock fanboy, but he was something that I was somebody that I was eyeing up for quite a while on my watch list because he's just been performing, and it kind of got to the point where I picked him up because he just keeps performing. And if it continues that way, regardless of who's on the mound, like. I don't know. I just feel like it would be really hard for Dave Roberts to justify. I know Cody Bellinger is a is a great defensive center fielder, but I feel like I I, I don't know. It's well, if you if you have a, a lineup problem with all those, fans. if you have a lineup with all those bats, I would think that you could prioritize defense and then just kind of let Bellinger figure it out. Because if he does, that's great. But 
Yeah. If not, y'all, you have enough defensive firepower. And I think that his, his defense is in center field is still fantastic. Like he's probably one of the better defensive center fielders in the entire league. So, I, I mean, I do think that matters, especially when you already have so much firepower on offense. I'd, like it might not be a huge deal if he's, I mean, if he only hits like 250 this year, which would be a big step up. Be a huge step and, up. <laughs> yeah, if he's only like, but if he's only doing that, then and he's providing you great defense, then I don't know. I might take that over Pollock, who's, I, I mean, he's okay, but I think Pollock I, is number three on the team in OPS right now. So it's it's certainly a t- it's a good problem to have if you're Dave Roberts, but it is a tough question to answer of who do you sit. And I think you yeah, might be. I think you might be onto I'd something. I feel like they'll probably they'll probably put, platoon them. I don't think that either one of them just outright wins the job, and the other one becomes a bench player. And I don't even know that it's like most. I've I've I thought that Pollock would be if if Bellinger is in the lineup full time. I thought it was very clear that Pollock would be the guy that uh, that takes the back seat. But I've been seeing people in the fantasy baseball discord that i'm on i've been seeing people on fantasy baseball twitter suggest that chris taylor might be the guy that takes a backseat and i i think maybe the more likely scenario is that dave roberts just starts giving different hitters the day off like every other day and chris taylor just rotates around the diamond to keep his bat in the lineup that way i don't know i don't know what's going to happen but it's certainly See, not a sure thing for any of those three guys I think that's the most likely thing to happen because now they're at a position where they can keep everybody fresh and just kind of rotate around. Yeah, I mean, ideally, if you're Dave Roberts, you could give six different guys the day off while Chris Taylor plays in the lineup, and then on the seventh day, give Taylor himself the day off. Like you said, keep people fresh. We'll see what happens. I think it's an interesting thing to watch. Obviously, the Dodgers are freaking loaded this year, both on both sides of the ball. So I will be interested to watch what happens. Let's talk about these deadline day deals, Jake. There are a lot of them. We are not going to give our initial reaction to these. So sorry, some of these may not be mentioned after just being read off by me here, but we are going to do plenty of analysis and talk about specific trades. Let's get into it. First one of the trade deadline. Scott gave up Austin Riley and Husker Yanoa. Mike gave up J.D. Davis and Mitch Hanniger. Second one, Mike gave up Matt Barnes, and Nick gave up Noah Syndergaard. Next, J.C. gave up Blake Snell. Mike gave up Tuki Toussaint. After that, Jordan gave Akio Badu, and I gave Andrew McCutcheon. Next one is Jerwin gave Ryan McMahon. Jordan gave Luis Urias. The next one was, I think, probably the first, I guess, quote-unquote, big one of the deadline. Sam gave up her mom, Marquez, and Max Freed. Nick gave up Pablo Lopez and Madison Bumgarner. And then to top that one off, there was an even bigger trade after that. Jake, you got involved in the action. You gave up Corey Seager, Michael Conforto, and Jordan Romano. Sam gave up George Springer, Liam Hendricks, and Glaber Torres. Then Mike gave up Jose Abreu and Austin Riley. And Sam gave in return Anthony Rizzo. One of the biggest trades of the day, Brendan gave up Luis Garcia, Aaron Judge, and Jesus Aguilar. Mike gave him in return Yuli Gurriel, Alex Verdugo, and Josiah Gray. And then we had the three-way trade where I gave up Nelson Cruz and Dalton Varsho to Mike. 
Mike gave Noah Syndergaard to Brendan, and Brendan gave Jamison Tyone and Will Smith the reliever for the Atlanta Braves to me. Next trade was a pretty small one. It was Sam gave up Luis Severino. Brendan gave up Dustin May. And then it was another trade that you made after this. Scott gave up Max Kepler, Alex Cobb, and Eduardo Rodriguez. Jake, you gave up Fidel Brujan, Brendan Rodgers, and Javier Baez. Then there was another pretty big trade. JC gave up Freddie Freeman and Sonny Gray. I gave him in return. John Means, Jamison Tyone, and Luke Voigt. After that, Nick and Mike made a trade where Nick gave up Adam Frazier, Richard Rodriguez, and Willie Adamas. Mike gave him Mark Melanson and Brandon Lau. And then you gave Jordan Glaber Torres and Max Kepler. Jordan gave you Ian Kennedy and Brad Keller. Small one, getting close to the end of the list here. Mike gave up Tommy Pham. Jordan gave up Tyler Anderson. And I thought that this one was going to be the last of the deadline because I think we only made it with, I want to say, six minutes left or something like that. I gave up Brad Hand and Merrill Kelly to Mike. He gave me Kenley Jansen. And then the very last one of the trade deadline are two expansion teams new to the league this year, made the final trade of the season. Eddie gave up Cedric Mullins and got in return from Nick, Herman Marquez, and Nick Pavetta. So that was a mouthful, Jake. Lots of trades, lots of action. I know that some of us were expecting uh, a little bit less action on deadline day this year because we had seen the most trades ever leading up to the deadline, and, and some teams just seemed to not care about trade fees. And we saw you know more teams than ever sell really early in the season before the deadline. So I think it was fair to say a few of us we're expecting not so much action, but I, I think that we got, you know, just as much action as we typically see on a deadline day. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was kind of par for the course for our, for our deadline day. Yeah. I, it was, it's a lot of fun. I mean, even if you're not making a ton of trades, it's still just fun to see all the trades that go through. It's fun to kind of be part of the buzzing activity of talking with everyone, you know, seeing if something opens up you know last minute or or to your surprise it's just a fun time so i think you know even though we're doing away with the trade limit next year i mean i don't know if it'll be to this extent but i still expect that we will get you know a decent chunk of trades on deadline day itself i think it's just a tradition at this point so jake <laughs> did you have something to add there uh, sorry i was clear my throat all right cool what I'm going to go through is we're going to talk about biggest blockbuster. We are going to do most impactful trade, most underrated trade, favorite trade, biggest winner, and biggest loser. And we're going to provide our analysis on those. So I will lead us off with my personal biggest blockbuster, which was Brendan Gibbs, Luis Garcia, Aaron Judge, and Jesus Aguilar. Mike Gibbs, Yuli Gurriel, Alex Verdugo, and Josiah Gray. I really love this deal for biggest blockbuster, not only because of the quantity of big names involved, but I think that behind the scenes, Luis Garcia was probably one of the most coveted assets of the day. Ultimately, he wasn't the only piece, the only big piece that Brendan gave up in the trade as newly dubbed center field and right field eligible Aaron Judge was part of the package as well. But for as big of... Big as the names are that Brendan sent out, Mike definitely ponied up 
giving Alex Verdugo and Yuli Gurriel, who I think everyone agrees are solid keepers, but I think an underrated and potentially impactful part of this deal is Josiah Gray headed to a new team, both in real life and in fantasy. I say this because the Nats apparently plan to make him part of their big league rotation right away. He's actually starting today. And why not, right? Since they're now fielding what is pretty much a double-A lineup that just so happens to include Juan Soto. This should give Brendan a pretty solid look at Josiah Gray and whether he was worth a keep at the steep discount he can be had for in next year's draft. So I think it was a great trade for both teams here. And I, I think that this deal in particular really embodies the excitement of deadline day as well. Uh, Jake, what was your biggest blockbuster? Uh, my biggest blockbuster involved the best player that was moved on deadline day. And that is uh, JC gives Freddie Freeman and Sonny Gray. And you gave John Means, Jamison Tyone, and Luke Voigt. And uh, yeah, I did have, I had some feelings about this one. Uh, I I don't really like what, uh, I don't really like John Means that much. I, he didn't break out in the way that I thought that he would. Because he, he showed a lot of increased velocity. The strikeouts were way up and that really didn't carry over to this year. So honestly, I, I think he's playing a little over his head. So I don't know that even though he is in the 12th round, I actually didn't see him as a great keeper just because, I mean, I think he's a fine keeper. It's, he's going to be had at a discount there, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's an ace. I think he's more like a 12 points per game pitcher. Uh, I like Jamison Tyon a lot though. I'm the only, my only worry with him is he might be running into an innings limit soon. And uh, Luke Voigt, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that Luke Voigt's really going to be, fantasy relevant for the rest of this year because I don't think he's going to start because I can't see the Yankees rolling out an outfield of Giancarlo Stanton, uh, Joey Gallo, and Aaron Judge, as cool as that would be to see. I don't think that's going to happen, and that's really the only way that Luke Voigt plays regularly is if the DH is open Uh, because I don't think you require Anthony Rizzo to, to sit him and use him as a bench bat. But yeah, I, I did, the reason I say this is the biggest blockbuster though is because I didn't see anybody of the caliber of Freddie Freeman being moved, and it happened, and I was I was very surprised by that. But I think this was a good move for you. Uh, I don't love JC's return, but I mean I could see it working out. I just I don't I don't love it on his end. Jake, to be honest, I'm not sure that there was a single person in the league, maybe including JC himself, who wasn't surprised by this trade because, you know, not only is JC typically pretty challenging to trade with just because he's he's obviously very, very hesitant to give up his own assets, but JC is a big Freddie Freeman guy. That is one of his, if not his favorite player in Major League Baseball. So I was floored that I was approached you know, in a negotiation where JC said like, Hey, I'm willing to give up Freddie Freeman. I need pitching. Um, John means is a guy that I, I'm torn on because I think that he is better than the interest that I received for him across the league. But I agree that he's not the, I don't know what it is at now, but like the 16 points per game pitcher that he currently sits at on the season. I think you're, what did you say, 12 points per game? Yeah, I just think like right now he's he's the absolute best version of himself. And it's just not going to, like this is, this is the ceiling for him. But I don't think that it's really, 
I, I guess I shouldn't even say it's the best version of himself because I think he's pitching over his head. But like, I just, I, I can't see this continuing. I think that he, I think his, his, the most realistic outcome for him is just like a guy you can, you can probably start most days. Like I don't, like I don't even know if he can be a must-start pitcher because he plays for the Orioles, and you can't really count on wins for him. It's a tough park. It's a tough team to pitch on because obviously the Orioles are kind of they're not even I don't want to say coming out of a rebuild yet, but they should be next year. Um but yeah, let's I guess we can pivot off of talking about John Means. Let's talk a little bit about Jamison Tyone and Sonny Gray in particular. Tyone was a guy that I traded for in that three way deal with Brendan and Mike because he had just been rolling. I like Jamison Tyone. Um, he was probably just going to be used as like a depth starter for me. Like he might have gotten into my lineup once or twice for the rest of the season, but certainly a a good piece of insurance uh, because like I said, he's been awesome over the last month and a half. And that's what I acquired him for. But I guess JC had told me after I made the three-way trade that he really wanted Tyone and he was trying to get him from Brendan. So I think, I guess maybe that was part of the surprise was Tyone was a deadline day target for JC and he didn't close the door on getting him even after he saw that he was traded to my team. Uh, but Sonny Gray too. I'm, I'm not personally a big Sonny Gray fan, but I felt like if I was dealing away two pitchers that I thought were awesome depth options for my starting rotation, that I should at least take one depth option back from JC's team. Like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of Sonny Gray, but I'm curious to hear like what where you are at with let's just say Sonny Gray versus Tyone. Like make a comparison between those two guys for you personally, Jake. Uh I might prefer Gray the, for the rest of this year just because I don't think he will have like I think that I prefer Tyone, I think start like per start, but I think that Tyone is going to have some sort of innings restriction on him where I don't know if he'll get shut down for a little bit or if the Yankees will just kind of back off of him a little bit. But, it, I mean, he has to have one because he's he, there, he went through a period where he didn't pitch for two years. So you can't just not throw it all and then suddenly throw like 180, 160 innings. I just don't think that's very realistic. So I guess in that sense, I, I think Sonny Gray is a guy that's really good to have if you don't have to start him every week. Like if he doesn't have to be – a rock for your rotation because he's very up and down. And if you, you start him when he's hot or if he's a good matchup and you can set him when he, when he's up against an offense, that's really good. Or if he's blown up a couple starts in a row, but she is for you. So I think that he's a fine guy to have around. Yeah. I considered for a moment starting Sonny Gray, who is at home this week against the Pittsburgh pirates over Max Scherzer, who is pitching, I believe at home against the Houston Astros, but ultimately didn't, actually put Sonny Gray. I just I know it's a great matchup and that it's a bad matchup for Scherzer, but I it still had to stick with my guy Max. Uh but it it just goes to show like he can be an option for you, especially if you know one of one of my starters gets hurt. He could be a useful guy. Last thing I'll ask you about this trade in particular is to rank the three pitcher keepers in this deal. I'll just say for 2021 only. So you got John Means in the twelfth round, Sonny Gray in the tenth round Jamison Tyone in the eighth round, I believe it is. Rank those guys uh, in the order that you prefer them at those discounts. 
Uh, probably be means one, Tyone two, and Gray three. I think that's if I'm drafting. Yeah. If I'm drafting from scratch, like I'm assuming I'm going to have to pick Sunny Gray as a guy that I would have to start a lot. So I don't, and I, mm-hmm. I only want Sunny Gray if I don't have to do that. Yeah, I think I rank them the same way with Sonny Gray and Tyone not being too far apart from each other. Tyone, yeah, they're pretty close. And I feel like... I don't want to say the, even the best version of himself because I don't think that Tyone has to be the best version of himself to compete with John Means at his price, but like a, a better version of Tyone where he's not going through a long stretch of struggling. I don't even think that he's super far away from the value that you would get from John means in the 12th round. So I feel like all those guys are, I guess, relatively close to each other in terms of how I would rank them for 2021 at those round discounts. Yeah. I mean, if you could, I think I actually might be going into next year. I would probably have Tyone and means ranked very closely just because I believe in the upside that Tyone has. I just, this year he just has, he just probably has an innings limit. Sure. Let's move on from biggest blockbuster and talk about most impactful trades. So I know that this, maybe it sounds a little similar to biggest blockbuster, but the way I was kind of looking at this, and you could define it however you want. I didn't really text you about this one, Jake, but I was kind of looking at it as like a trade that opened a team up to make another trade that you know could have been important to them. And I want to say there were probably three or four of those where Somebody made a trade and then later dealt a player involved in that earlier trade to make a different trade. The one that I went with was the three-way trade between me, uh, Mike, and Brendan, where I gave up Nelson Cruz and Dalton Varsho to Mike. Mike gave up Thor to Brendan. Brendan gave up Jamison Tyone and Will Smith to me. So first, I have to mention once again that uh, I know you said that we've had official three-way trades in the past. But in terms of like all-in-one transaction, I thought it was cool that this is like our first quote-unquote official three-way trade in league history since Fantrax allows for that, which is something that ESPN never did. Uh, And by the way, I wanted to take this opportunity to say, can we all agree that we are fully comfortable with Fantrax now and that it is the superior platform? I will be the first to admit that I was also uncomfortable at first. But after being off of ESPN's fantasy baseball platform for a full season now, I do not miss it one bit i don't know where you're at with that jake yeah i fully agree i was i at first when everybody was bringing i mean the complaints about it for most of the time were pretty valid but i i was like oh man this is this is kind of inconvenient why did they do it that way but i i mean we i think we all just got used to it and i i love that the i like the more in-depth stats that they provide they can track hitter and pitcher points for me. I don't have to do that manually anymore. You can go, you can, uh, if through the standings page, you can like filter by dates. So you can see how you stat, how you did from like a certain period of time and which could be helpful, but it's also, it's also interesting. And there's just other stuff you can, oh, there's like more filters and all that sort of thing you can do. So I like it. I like it a lot more than ESPN who seemed like they only really cared about football. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, the one pain is that Fantrax does not have like a trade counter per team. 
I guess that probably won't matter for our league after this year, since there will be no more trade fees, no more trade limit. Um, but certainly, probably, I would guess, a pain for you to track this year. But getting to the trade itself that I picked, uh, this was one of a couple deals made throughout the day, like I mentioned, that was linked to another trade. But I crown this one as the most impactful because it made what I have down as the runner-up to biggest blockbuster possible, which was the deal that you picked for biggest blockbuster, where JC gave up Freddie Freeman and Sonny Gray. I gave up John Means, Jamison Tyone, and Luke Voigt. I was, as I already mentioned, simply looking to get some rotation depth and reinforce my bullpen with this three-way trade. And both Jamison Tyone and Will Smith have been rolling lately, so I was happy to make the deal on its own and kind of, I guess, be done from there with my deadline day. Little did I know that it would lead to my most exciting deal personally of the deadline, and that is why I, perhaps with a little a little bit of bias, declare this as the most impactful trade. I should also mention that Mike got an upgrade at catcher, um, as Varsho has been a top two catcher since the All Star break, along with a steady big bat in Nelly Cruz, while Brendan added another solid keeper to his pool in Noah Syndergaard. So that was my most impactful trade. Jake, what did you have? Yeah, I didn't know that was the definition of impactful, but I actually picked the same one just because of all the different... I mean, you kind of went through the different variables, but the, overall, this just seemed like it, it led to more trades. It impacted the most teams. It, it, it just... It had the most... <laughs> it had the most impact out of all the trades. But I... It, like, Nelson Cruz and Dalton Bar showed to Mike. That's... I don't know how often he'll start Cruz just because it's a little inconvenient, but Varsha has been good. And I, I do kind of believe in him to continue even if he has to move back to center field, the diamondbacks don't really have many, many guys blocking him, but in center guard, even center guard, he, uh, Mike acquired him from Nick earlier in the day. So that's another one where there's another player where he got moved. This just happened to be the second trade as opposed to the first one in the case of, uh, of Tyone. But yeah, I don't have too much more to add on this one beyond what you said. It's just, this one seemed like it was the most wide ranging, I guess, out of all the trades it had the most, uh, had the most consequences for everybody. I like that, Jake. The most impactful trade is the one that had the most impact. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's talk Water's about, wet. yeah, exactly. Let's talk about the most <laughs> underrated trade. Uh, for me, actually, you know what? Let me take a backseat to you here. I don't want to steal your thunder twice in a row. So let's hear what your most underrated trade of the day was. All right. So mine was you gave up Brad Hand and Merrill Kelly. Mike gave up Kenley Jansen. And uh, I think that this was a case of you capitalizing on the frustration that Mike might have on Kenley Jansen because this is one of those trades. I know that you said before, like how I usually can raise the floor of my team, well, keep the floor the same, but really raise the ceiling. I feel like that is that is this trade. Merrill Kelly is not very good. Uh Brad Hand, I I don't even think he's the closer in Toronto. I think that's still Romano. And Jansen, despite his struggles, uh still looks like he's the guy in LA and they look like they're gonna win a lot of games. So if this struggles if the struggles turn out to be kind of a mirage, uh there's a good chance he's gonna get some he's gonna get a lot of save chances and be a pretty impactful reliever maybe even better than one of my guys, Liam Hendricks or Craig Kimbrell, just because uh, you got him a lot cheaper than I got 
either of those guys. And at worst, really, you gave, I mean, you gave up, what, Brad Hand, another struggling reliever and a starter that you were never going to start. So I, I think that that's probably the most, and I think Kenley Jansen maybe out of this, out of the, all the players moved on at the trade deadline is probably the most underrated. I want to say, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head because obviously it, uh, that trade kind of took, I don't want to say took a backseat, but it was a little bit lower in impact than the three-way trade that I made and the, and then the other trade that I made with JC. But I think at first I offered Brad Hand and AJ Pollock. That sounds right because AJ Pollock is the guy that I put on my trade block with like 20 minutes to go where I said, hey, I want to move AJ Pollock and some other guy for, you know, just a small upgrade. So I think AJ Pollock and Brad Hand was the original offer. Mike countered me with Merrill Kelly and Brad Hand, and it was just a simple handshake from there. But that just gives you a little bit of insight into that trade. My most underrated trade was Sam gave up Luis Severino and Brendan gave up Dustin May. This one probably didn't surprise people as Nick, Mike, and I discussed the fact that Sam should look to trade one of Chris Sale or Luis Severino on last week's episode in which I said he should specifically move Severino. But I think this one flew under the radar in the madness of all the other deals. I like this for Sam because Severino would have been thrown back to the expansion draft had he not been traded since he was the same round as Chris Sale, a 12th round keeper. And I like this for Brendan because I actually prefer Severino to May next year, both at his cost and in terms of what I expect them to produce when on the field. I know Dustin May is expected to miss the beginning of next season and maybe even a pretty good chunk of next season. But even when he comes back, I, I think I would still prefer Luis Severino on a per start basis to Dustin May. So I think that this was a, a good trade for both sides because Sam didn't have use for Luis Severino um, and Brendan increased his ceiling here. Favorite trade. Jake, I'm going to again let you lead off with this one since I let off with the first two. What was your favorite trade of the day? Uh, my favorite trade, well, well, it was the one that you mentioned just because it with May and Severino just because it seemed like it was it was a smart play on both sides to do that. It benefited everybody. Uh, but I'll pivot and say that my trade with Jordan where Glaber Torres returned home for Brad Keller, the guy that nobody wanted, and that would probably be my my favorite trade just because it came together in like two seconds. Jake, we're even now because you stole my thunder. My favorite trade of the day was Jordan gives up Ian Kennedy and Brad Keller. Jake gives Glaber Torres and Max Kepler. And the only thing that I've written down for this is for the storyline. Glaber Torres that's, that's may not be he may not be elite anymore, but he is returned home. Great storyline okay. for Glaber Torres to get sent back to Jordan's team. Got to got to get him back there. That was the goal. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh let's talk about biggest winner and biggest loser from the trade deadline. And we're specifically talking about teams here. Uh, I will lead us off here. My biggest winner, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, this was the third question from the, the list of questions that we sent out to get everybody's audio clip. So I'm not going to pick my team. Jake's not going to pick his team. So those being the parameters, my biggest winner is Pine Run Market, Nick's team. And my reason for picking Nick here was pretty simple. I felt like he improved his team without downgrading at any position and without giving up any keepers that were not already expendable to him. 
And I actually decided to break it down uh, basically by looking at what he brought in versus what he sent out. And I did it on a kind of a position-by-position -position basis. So I would call Adam Fraser and Brandon Lau a wash, given how hot Lau has been lately. So he sent out Adam Fraser. He got Brandon Lau. Kind of a wash. I would also call Pablo Lopez and Max Fried a wash because while I much prefer Pablo Lopez, he is currently injured, and the Marlins don't really have a reason to push him if or when he comes back since they aren't competing with any for anything. Uh, Cedric Mullins is definitely an upgrade to Nick's offense over Willie Adamas, in my opinion. I know Adamas has been good, but I like Cedric Mullins for Nick's lineup more than Willie Adamas. Matt Barnes and Mark Melanson are big upgrades to his bullpen over Nick Pavetta and Richard Rodriguez. And the only players left that he moved beyond those that I just mentioned are Herman Marquez, who he didn't start the day with. So I didn't really give much consideration to an in and then out piece like Herman Marquez. And then Noah Syndergaard, who I don't really think that Nick planned on keeping anyway. So overall, just textbook execution where... It may have looked like he made sacrifices in the micro of each deal, but when you take a step back and look at the macro of his day, he improved in multiple spots without really taking a hit anywhere to do it. Uh, biggest winner for you, Jake? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was you, Nate. Got the best player on deadline day. Got a really impactful. Well, I think it'll be an impactful reliever. Uh, another one too, and Will Smith. They both should be pretty good. And. Uh, you were able to kind of trim the fat on your roster. And even, even before the trade deadline, you were able to kind of move some of those injured guys for, in my opinion, like pre-injury prices. Like I think that uh, for how Shane Bieber was performing, uh, getting back what you got back, like that would, I would have expected to get that back had he been healthy. And uh, I mean, he wasn't and he's still not. And you were able to get that back. But other than the trade deadline, I think that you were able to, Kind of successfully trim the fat on your roster and get some more impactful players more than really anybody else. So I think you're the biggest winner on deadline day, mostly due to the getting Freddie Freeman and not giving up anything really important, too important to your team this year. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I, I do think it's, it's hard to, and this is me not getting on my, my own bandwagon here or anything, but I agree with your assessment in that if one team gets a super, like a, a superstar caliber player, such as Freddie Freeman and no other team gets a superstar caliber player, it's, it's kind of hard to say that that team wasn't the winner. Um, and I'll just kind of go back to my process, not just for the deadline, but just for this season. And I guess every season in fantasy baseball, the process for me is always to get better, right? Like, of course, it's to win. Of course, it's to have bragging rights. Of course, it's to win money. But when I look back at myself as a player in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, I feel like personally, I've gotten better every year. And that's, I don't want to say it's more rewarding than having your name on the trophy because that's the most rewarding, right? But if there's any consolation to not winning the league, for me, it's just getting better as a player. And I think that, you know, in some of those deals this year, like I, the, the Freddie Freeman negotiation and trade, I think I just was very, I think there was a lot of serendipity with that where I just got lucky at the right time at the right moment. Um, but 
kind of going back to some of the trades that you were talking about with like Shane Bieber, um, Clayton Kershaw could be another guy that I moved while he was injured. I think that that shows, at least when I reflect on my own growth as a player, I think that shows growth and improvement for me as a fantasy player. So I was just really happy about the progress there. And I, I encourage everybody to kind of look back on their season every year, or even while the season's going on and, and monitor how you are growing as a player. I think it's a very valuable thing to do regardless of where you finish in the league standings. Uh, biggest loser. We're kind of getting close to the end of the episode here. Jake, I know you have a trade season recap for us in store to actually end the episode after this biggest loser piece here, which I'm excited to hear. Well, let's talk about it. I know we don't necessarily like to be uh, crushing or negative on this podcast, but I felt it appropriate to opposite our biggest winner with biggest loser. Jake, I'll ask you to go first here. All right. So I, I'm going to take this opportunity to rant about how my trade deadline went, because I, as I look at it, I think I was probably the biggest loser, not even necessarily just because of the trades, but we're saying the trade deadline that time period probably negatively impacted my team. And I don't know if there's really anything I could have done about it. Like Chris Bryant, he gets traded to a worse ballpark. Uh, that's not good. I make the trade where I move my, probably my only remaining great keeper with Corey Seager. And I think a Corey Seager has the, there's a very real possibility that Corey Seager is a top five keeper league wide, in my opinion, just because I think he's that good of a hitter. And one of the guys that I get, I gets back, his value gets torpedoed like two hours later. And then there's uh, and it just so happens that the other guy who would not benefit from it is also on my team. And then a couple hours before that, another one of my relievers, Kendall Graveman, who is on a points per game basis has been just as good as those other two guys. He also gets traded out of the closer role. So my bullpen just decimated. And then I have the news that uh, Jacob DeGrom is going to be injured for a little bit longer than I thought. And it's kind of too late to do anything about it because I already moved my best keeper. And then you got the, uh, I got some of my, when I traded for uh, Alex Cobb, he was just going to be a depth piece, but uh, he ended, he's supposed to be my depth guy to replace it, to be like kind of hold down the fort until the injured players get back. Well, now he's injured. And then I trade for the guy who's supposed to, I see that I, I, uh, okay. I need more depth pitching. So I go out and get Brad Keller. Well, he's hurt now too. So there's just, <laughs> it's just a, uh, series of unfortunate events that all happened right at the same time. It's just like, one thing on top. Oh, and then uh, Gonsolin also now hurt. And then there's the news that Danny Duffy gets traded and he might not even be a starter anymore. So there's just, just a lot hitting me all at once and I'm not very pleased with it. And all uh, like right after negotiations took place, right? Like none. Yeah, like there was nothing <laughs> that could be done. Yeah, I like I traded, I made the trade for like with Scott. And then Alex Cobb goes on the injured list. Like it said that he had something with his finger, like a blister or something. So it said like, he's probably going to make his next start. And then he goes to the injured list and it's like a, ri a wrist issue out of nowhere. Right. And then, <laughs> like DeGrom's throwing a bullpen. And then the next day, like I trade Seager, the only guy that could have maybe gotten me a good pitcher. And now he's gone. DeGrom, I can't really replace. I mean, you're not going to replace him anyways, but. You know what I mean? It's just uh, yeah. that was my big trade piece. The return that I got back ended up 
not being nearly as good as I thought it would be just because of the, and I, I didn't see the Kimbrel trade coming at all. I really didn't think the White Sox were even, I didn't even know the White Sox were in on Kimbrel, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, I did not either. And to make matters worse, to just cap off in a really unfortunate series of events for your deadline day, you grab the guy that's supposed to come up and replace Alex Cobb, Reed Detmers. He's arguably been the best pitcher in minor league baseball this year, a guy that uh, I think the dynasty fantasy baseball community was really, really excited about debuting because he is taking, he's taken uh, an unpredicted step forward this year and gaining velocity and becoming a super high strikeout pitcher in the minor leagues. Reed Detmers, you scoop him up first, beat everyone else to the punch, and he gets shelled by the Oakland Athletics. So just, I don't think the, again, same, same kind of deal with Bellinger. Obviously, the book is not closed on Reed Detmers, but that is just not the debut that you want from him to potentially provide you some relief in your starting rotation. Uh, and for him to be a specifically the replacement for a guy on your team that got hurt. So just a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, really unlucky. Um, I did not have the same biggest loser, though. Thankfully, I won't rag on your team since you already did it. My biggest loser from the trade deadline is the only person that did not get involved on the trade deadline. That is Courtney, Team C. Deemer. My reason for picking Courtney here was also pretty simple. I don't think that her team is a top three roster, and she doesn't necessarily have an envious pool of keepers to fall back on should things not go her way in the playoffs. Courtney made a total of one trade this season, which wasn't as groundbreaking as the names in the deal suggest, since, you know, Bellinger has been pretty dreadful this season for fantasy. She, like I mentioned, neglected to make a move on deadline day, despite having clear holes from a short-term point of view um, and kind of a middle-of-the-road keeper pool. She has Nick Castellanos in the third, Yu Darvish in the fourth, Zach Wheeler in the sixth, Chris Taylor in the tenth, and Logan Gilbert in the 18th, I think. Uh, so if you're looking at it from like a long-term point of view, I was trying to be you know, fair in my assessment here. I do think that it's a, it's a fine keeper pool, but the only guys that I am really excited about at those values are Zach Wheeler in the 6th, Logan Gilbert in the 18th, and, and I still will give the respect to you, Darvish, even though he's been struggling pretty mightily as of late. Uh, you know, He's a nice value in the fourth round, but certainly it's not a top-of-the-line keeper pool. So... You kind of see short-term need, long-term need. Uh, she's likely going to have to restock her keeper pool next year with some heavy hitters like Ronald Acuna Jr., Josh Hader, and Ozzie Albee's keeper value expiring this season, Yu uh, Darvish's keeper value expiring next season, and you'd basically be paying full price in a quote-unquote best-case scenario to keep Nick Castellanos in the second round of 2023 all that, plus you have no idea where Chris Taylor will sign, which makes me wonder uh, if he might be hurt by potentially not hitting in the best lineup in baseball if he does not re-sign with the Dodgers. So overall, I think that this was, you know, this year or the end of this season will kind of be a turning point for Courtney's team. I think this is, you know, quote-unquote, the start of her future. I'll say as respectfully as possible that me and roughly five others in the league have our doubts about how she's going to hold up over the next few seasons without a top tier set of keepers and without receiving help during draft season, whether you are listening and agree, disagree, don't care, whatever. One thing is true. Courtney is going to have the opportunity to 
prove all of us wrong and disprove these doubts. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. So that is our trade deadline in review. Jake, why don't you give us a recap for the total season, uh, specifically talking about trades? Okay, so we had the total number of trades was 72. Uh, it was a big, big time record, right? Yeah, that's like 20 something over our previous like record. 29 or something crazy. Yeah, we had 18 trades on deadline day. Uh, to break it down by, uh, well, we, we got $130 extra added to the pot from fees, which is far and away a record. Uh, to break it down by player, Mike led the way with 28 trades. Jeez, Louise. So wait, wait, wait. That's 20? Or no, no, no. We can't count deadline day. I was going to say how many. You're going to give us how many fees he paid? Yeah, he paid okay. $55 in trade fees. So Jordan hit the nail on the head. He said $50 by deadline. Mike exceeded expectations. Okay, keep going. I won't interrupt anymore. Uh, Nick was next with 21. He had $45 in trade fees. Jordan actually was third with 16. He had $20 in trade fees. And it was Nate with 13 with the $5. Scott had 12. But, I mean, some of those weren't his uh, for $10 in trade fees. Sam had 12, but he did not have any. Nobody else from here on out had any trade fees. Brendan had 11. I had 11. Eddie had eight. JC had seven. Jerwin had five. And Courtney had one. So that is your trade season recap. Thanks for uh, putting that together, Jake. I know that was probably a, <laughs> probably a pain to go through and track. But trades obviously will not be a part of our you know, podcast talk from this point moving forward. It's something that we're going to miss talking about. It's something that obviously most of us have a lot of fun with in our fantasy league. So I was, you know, Jake and I were happy when, when we were discussing how to attack this week on the podcast to split it off and do a bonus episode completely focused on the trade deadline. I had a lot of fun recording. Hope you did too, Jake. Hope that everybody that's listening is going to have a really fun time listening to the episode. Um, and yeah, it, I think it just goes to show that, uh, Trading is one of those things in fantasy that's like up there with draft day. It's up there with winning a championship. Maybe it's not as certainly not as you know as fun as winning a championship, but it is one of the best three things or four things in fantasy baseball in terms of having fun. So I'm I'm glad that it's a big part of our league and that everybody kind of embraces it. Jake, do you have anything to add before we close out until next week's episode? No, uh, good luck everybody for the uh, for the stretch run here. Yeah, good luck. We will be back with you next week, as always. And we are going to uh, probably start incorporating some new, you know, playoff content over the next couple weeks. And of course, during the playoffs themselves. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you guys on next week's episode. So thanks for listening. Yeah.